Well, it's good to be back. I've been uh, away uh, on a break for a few weeks, feeling very refreshed and excited about the series uh, that we are starting uh, today. And we'll be doing uh, both morning and night uh, for most of September, a series where we're going to look together at the Word of God. So let's pray now as we open that Word that God will help us uh, to understand it and to respond rightly to it. Let's pray. Lord God, you are a great God. You do not remain distant. You speak to us clearly and powerfully. And so, Father, we pray now as we open your word that we would meet the living word, your son, the Lord Jesus, that we would trust him and that we would serve him. Amen. Well, in front of most of you in the pews today, you will find a book with a red cover. Uh, If you've spent any time here at all, you will have noticed it there before. Um, More often than not, uh, in fact every week, uh, that book is taken up the front here and somebody reads, uh, generally from somewhere in the first half and then uh, more than likely from somewhere in the second half as well. And even more than that, somebody then takes that book, this book here, which you have uh, in your pews and they stand in this spot and together we open up one of the passages that has been read and we try to understand it, uh, try to allow it to penetrate our hearts and our minds and our lives. And I guess the obvious question to ask is why? Have we got so badly into the the habit of it, into the rut of just using this book all the time that we've we've lost creativity, Uh, that maybe uh, we could vary the books that we look at from time to time? We're sort of a book club that's outgrown this book and we need to move on to a new one. Is is that uh, what we need to do? Maybe next week we could have an advice book on uh, financial planning, how to pay off your mortgage in 10 years or something like that and we could all leave here pretty clear about how to do that and the week after we could have a series of poetry readings or a scene from Shakespeare or a great cricket biography or or something like that. All sorts of things we could be reading uh, when we come together like this. Why is it that we come back to this book week in, week out? Well over the next few weeks that's the question we're going to try and answer. Why is it that this book is so important that we keep coming back to it? Why is it that uh, this book can make such a difference to our individual lives, to our life as a community and to any situation we find ourselves in. But before we can explore that question, as we will uh, this month, we really need to lay a foundation uh, before we explore the the full implications of what this book does for us. And the questions we're going to ask today to lay this foundation are two fairly simple questions. first one is, why do we read this book? Why is it that we read it? And in asking that, we're really asking, what is it? What is the Bible that we would read it like this? And having answered that question together, we're then going to try and answer, how are we to read it? What's our attitude meant to be to this book that might be different to any other book that we would open up together? They're the two questions that we're going to try and answer as we lay a foundation for this series. And so to the first one, why do we read this book? Let me give you four reasons why I think we read God's Word, the Bible, And uh, it's worth having 2 Timothy uh, 3 open. That's where we'll uh, be for most of the time. We'll bounce around a little bit in the Bible, but uh, more often than not we'll be back there. Four reasons why we believe, why we read the Bible. And the first is uh, probably the most important one. We, We read this book because it is God's word. That's why we read this book. As Christians we believe that the way God speaks to us, the way he speaks to his world, the way he makes himself known, and reveals what we are like and what he has done and is doing in this world is through this book. 
It is his words to us. And at the very heart of our belief in God's word is our belief in God himself. You see, we don't believe in a book as such. We believe in the God who has spoken in this book. And given that he has spoken, the Bible is obviously going to be crucial to what we are about. In the passage that was read out earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 that, uh, that Kate illustrated for us earlier, we have this key verse which shows us what this book is. All scripture, all of the Bible, every single word of it is God-breathed. This passage shows us the origin of this book that we find in our pews and is more than likely in our homes and, and perhaps in our workplaces. God has breathed these words into existence. And out of that idea that God has breathed these words comes the Christian belief that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's important to, uh, to think about actually what that means. You know, it doesn't mean that, uh, that a group of men wrote some things and they were thinking about God at the time and they were kind of inspired about God and that's, that's what it means. Or it doesn't mean that they, they wrote these words and then along came God a bit like a magic fairy and breathed on it, sort of like fairy dust, and all of a sudden it became God's word. Now it's saying something even more primary than that. The very existence of this book, the very existence of the books within this book were brought about by the breath of God. The words of this book are the words of his very mouth, formed by his breath. He is the speaker. The same God who spoke and brought the world into existence spoke these words into existence. As 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Above all, you must understand that no part of scripture came about by the writer's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by his spirit. And so therefore when we as Christians say that we believe in the Bible, one of the primary things that we are trusting in is, that, is in God himself, that by his spirit, He has brought these words to our eyes and ears and minds. We read it because it is his word and secondly, we read it because it is the word of his promise to us. You see, to say that we believe in the Bible is to say that we trust in the faithfulness of the God of the Bible. The words of scripture, the words of the Bible contain his promises to us and so in trusting these words we are trusting that our God is able to deliver on his promises. You see, throughout uh, the words of the Bible we have the unfolding story of what God has been doing, what he said he intended to do and then carried out and what he continues to do. It reveals to us what he is doing to rescue this broken and fallen world. But in the end, the story which is told over centuries in the Bible is a story about one word, the word, Jesus Christ. The full expression of what the Bible is revealing to us the complete fulfilment of all the promises that are found in the Bible, and there are many, are found in his son, Jesus. The one who is described in John chapter 1 as the word of God made flesh. The whole of the Old Testament, the, the first half of this book, foretells and foreshadows him. It keeps pointing to him. The Gospels speak of his birth, his life, his words, his works, his death, and even his conquering of death. As you go on in the Bible, you read the Acts of the Apostles and you see what Jesus continued to do. You move further into the letters of Paul and the other people's letters who are written there. 
and you see the full glory of the person and work of Jesus in relation to our very lives. And even right up to the very end, you get to the book of Revelation and you see Christ on his throne as all the world will one day see him. All the words of this book, the Bible, are about the living word, Jesus. And so to say that we believe in the Bible is to say that we believe in the promises of God and his promises centre on his son. And so to trust in this, this Bible, this word of God, is to know that it has a purpose. It's not just uh, random words put together. Its purpose is to bring us to his son and in him find life. We read it because it's his word. We read it because it is the word of his promise. And thirdly, we read it because it is the word of his salvation. To say we believe in the Bible, that it is central to what we do as a church, is to say that we know that the Bible is able to reveal how God has acted, how he has acted to rescue us. Nothing else is required. No uh, secret knowledge, no vision, no last minute piece of information. All a Christian needs to know how to be right with their God is in this book. And in the end our belief in God's word is our belief that God has rescued us through his son. That is what is revealed in the words of scripture. We read it because it's his word. We read it because it's the word of his promise. It is the word of his salvation. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, we read it because it is his living word. Our belief in the Bible is because we believe in the God who speaks in the Bible. Behind the word is the living word. It is he in whom we trust, he who has forgiven us, he who speaks. And that God is still on his throne. The words we read in this book are not the words of someone who has long since passed. It is the words of the living God who even now speaks as we read his word. As 1 Peter 1 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And so therefore when we come to this word of the Bible, we don't come as historians poring over some artefact or as scientists poking and prodding at some experiment or as literary critics or Greek or Hebrew scholars. No, we come before the word of the living God who through his spirit puts us under the microscope, prods us, searches us. And even more than that, when we realise what we are in on as we read the scriptures, when we realise that we are reading the very word of God, who speaks even now, who promises even now, who saves even now, then we realise that we don't come as dispassionate observers, but we come like the psalmist, of Psalm 119 that we had read out earlier, we come as lovers of that word. As those who, in the words of Psalm 1, delight in the word of God, treasure it. As those uh, who, uh, as Psalm 119, tell us, savour this word like honey in our mouths. Who crave it like a newborn craves milk, 1 Peter tells us. We treasure this word. We are devoted to it. We love it this word. That's the call the Bible brings to us. Love's not a distant word, isn't it? Is it? It's, it's not like an interest. To say that we love God's word isn't to say, I'm kind of interested in it or it's a bit of a hobby or a subject 
I like to study. To love something is to be in it boots and all, isn't it? To say you are a lover of God's word is a big claim. And that brings us to our second question. What does it mean to be a lover of God's word, to be devoted to the scriptures? That's what I want us to think about for a few minutes now. And again, let me give you four things that I think being a lover of God's word involves. And again, most of them are in 2 Timothy. The first thing that being devoted to God's word, being a lover of God's word will mean is that you remember whose word it is that you are reading. And as such, you approach it with humility. As Ecclesiastes 5 says, it says, guard your steps when you go near to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A lover of God's word comes before it to listen, to hear what God has to say, to hear him speaking to us, changing us. Secondly, a lover of God's word is someone who loves pursuing wisdom, pursuing understanding. There's lots of things that, uh, that we could grow wise about, lots of things that we could understand. And that's where you know, we might want to sort of vary the books that we read as a church. We, we could become wise about all sorts of things. But you can be incredibly wise, incredibly learned and be clueless when it comes to God, when it comes to salvation. That's where the Bible comes in. Have a look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom you've learnt it, and how from infancy you know, you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's true wisdom. I reckon if you're going to be wise about one thing, that's the thing you want to nail in life. Salvation. Relationship with God. And the only way we can do that, the only place true wisdom is found, says God, is in his word. A lover of God's word remembers whose word it is. They pursue wisdom. And thirdly, they are devoted to obeying God. And really, there's two parts to this. Firstly, all the way through scriptures, we have repeated commands from God to be lovers of his word. And so one of the reasons we are to be lovers of his word is because he's told us to be. He says it again and again in 1 Timothy 4.13 we are told to be devoted to it, to be in it wholeheartedly. And 2 Timothy 2.15 describes us as workmen who, who are careful with it, who know the immense value of what they have in their hands. I was thinking about that and I remembered uh, back to last October when, uh, when our belongings were packed up uh, in Sydney and put into this big container and uh, the guys turned up to do it and uh, you know, they're, they're like Conan the Barbarian, these huge guys. And they come charging in and they pick up couches like it was a twig. And I'm starting to think, we, did, we don't have many sort of precious things uh, in our home but there's a couple of them and I'm thinking, I'm not sure I want this guy to be packing those things. But very quickly you realise that these guys know what they're doing. They come before a vase or something and they treat it very carefully. They realise the value of it. They realise whose it is and they wrap it carefully before they pack it. We are to be the same way with God's word. We are workmen who handle it very carefully, knowing the immense value of what we have in our hands. 
We obey God's word because he tells us to and more than that, we obey the words that we find there. In John 15, 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I mean, quite simply what it's saying is you cannot love God if you do not love his word. You cannot love God if you do not obey his word. If you want a healthy, vibrant, loving relationship with your Lord, then you need to be a lover and a obeyer of his word. And finally, being a lover of his word is being committed to being enabled by that word. Have a look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Being devoted to God's word is about being committed to being enabled by that word. You see, God has not saved us to be passengers or onlookers uh, in the things that he is doing in this world, but participants. And to that end, his word is powerfully effective. It teaches us about our God and about our world. It rebukes us when we are opposed to his will and his purposes. To be a lover of God's word is to to love being changed by that word, to love having our opinions reshaped, turned on their heads. To be a lover of God's word is one who loves to be corrected by that word about what God is like and about what we are like, to be trained by that word in righteousness. And all of that has a purpose. Do you see it there in 2 Timothy 3.17? This enabling that scripture does for us. You see, God who by his spirit has spoken, the God who is enabling his people by his word is doing that so that we might be fully equipped. And why? To know more? To, to have better arguments, better, better things to say? Or maybe to, to sort of know which page to turn to when the Bible reading comes? No. For every good work. God is at work in this world by his word through his people. And so by his word he shapes us, prods us, sifts us, cuts us, heals us, restores us, comforts us, drives us on, forgives us, brings us joy and builds us up together. It is a powerfully effective word. I guess at this point... Uh, having uh, thought about what a lover of God's word looks like, uh, the, the danger that I, I, that I came across as I was thinking about this this week is it's very easy to leave this uh, just all up there. We, we'd like to claim that I'm, I'm a lover of God's word. That's what I am. I'm devoted to God and his word. But how do we stop that claim being hollow for us in the coming year? Well, as we finish, let's, let's explore just for a few minutes what it would mean for us as individuals to be lovers of God's word. What does that actually look like? In practice, I think for us as individuals, the first thing it's going to mean is commitment. Commitment's not a very exciting word when you put it next to love, is it? Love's love's far more flashy and dramatic and passionate. Commitment's a bit bland and uh, and boring, but uh, the Bible never separates the two. A lover of God's word is committed to it. So let me encourage you this year, if you want to be a lover of God's word or continue to be that way, then be committed to it committed to reading that word, to meditating on it, to chewing it over. And if you want to be committed, you need to pray and ask God to help you honour that commitment. And uh, we need to be specific in that prayer, not, not just a sort of a vague idea 
all the way through Psalm 190, we have the sort of things that we need to be praying for ourselves. Pray that God will incline your heart to his word. Pray that he'll help you love it. Pray that he'll help you understand the word when you read it. Pray that he'll help you obey it. Pray that he'll guide you by that word. And pray that he'll seek you if you go astray from that word. Let me encourage you, if you're going to make that commitment for this year to be a lover of God's word, then find someone to be accountable when it comes to that commitment. Tell someone about it. If you're in a small group, one of the best things that we can do in in a Bible study group is to to encourage each other with this. And one of the dangers I've experienced over the years in in small groups is we get to the point where we're we're sharing about our lives and praying for each other and we sort of, when it comes to our Bible reading, we say, oh, I'm struggling a bit at the moment and then everyone else says, oh, I'm struggling a bit too and we all feel okay about it. And in one sense, that's a good thing that we can encourage each other but every now and then we want to say, no, that's not okay. How are we going to do this better? How are we going to encourage each other? Tell someone about your commitment. Be accountable to each other. And remember, this isn't about legalism. It's not about rules. It's a relationship decision. If you want to grow in your love and understanding of your God, if you want to be clear about his purposes for your life, then this commitment is essential. So we've got to be committed. And secondly, following on from that, we've got to be disciplined in that commitment. Make a plan for this year. And make it a priority. One of those things that happens every week no matter what. And part of being disciplined is being specific in your plan. Plan the place where you're going to read God's word. Plan the time. Plan the way you're going to do it. Think hard about these questions. When will I fit reading God's word into my typical day? And if you can't see where on earth it's going to fit, what are you going to change about your day so it will fit? Where at home or at work or in between are you going to read it? Where are you going to have the space and the time and the quietness where you'll actually be able to get into it properly? And how are you going to read it? Are you going to read the Bible in a year? You can get these great books that will cut the Bible up into 365 bits and you get through it in a year. Or maybe a chapter a day or you pick a favourite book and, and you read that. There's all sorts of ways that you can do it. But if you're struggling with where to start with making a plan, then can I encourage you to, to get some help? Uh, find something that's going to guide you. There's a great uh, series of resources over in the church centre called Explore which run through the Bible for three months at a time and it will give you a passage to read every day, some things to chew over. And uh, I don't know, if you're like me, then sometimes you need something like this to actually stop you from uh, wandering off thinking about other things as you start to read the Bible. Then grab one of these, have a look, see if it's going to work for you. Uh, They're a great resource and you can sign up uh, to receive the next one. This one's October to December this year. That might be a good time to start. Uh, But uh, when you make a plan, stick to it. Find something that's going to work. And again, it's not about legalism. So if you go through a dry patch, if uh, you you come up with this great plan for the rest of the year and uh, a week later you've, you've stopped, it's all derailed, try again and again and again. It's a bit like Epaphras in, in Colossians when, he, when Paul's talking about him praying, he says he wrestles in prayer. It's not easy to keep praying. It's the same with Bible reading. Our, our minds wander everywhere. We think of a million things that we have to do. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with it because it's not a fringe concern for us. It's not like the icing on the cake for a Christian. The very means by which God sustains and grows us, by which he makes us fruitful, is by his word. As he says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what it's going to mean for us individually. And finally, what's it going to mean for us 
as a community, as a church family? Well, let me pick two things. Firstly, I think it means that we're going to have to keep it central. Central to the reason we gather every Sunday is to hear and be encouraged by this word. The further we move away from that word, the further we become at best a self-help group. We might help each other in lots of ways but when it comes to being wise for salvation, when it comes to knowing our God and what he expects of us, we will be clueless. And if God is going to be, God's word is going to be central to what we do, then it has implications for the way we walk through the doors of a Sunday morning. Let me encourage you to come ready to hear God's word. Come prepared to think, prepared to ask questions, prepared to chew it over with others over coffee or over lunch after the service. Come prepared to be enabled by that word, to be changed by it. That's the first thing. And secondly, I think it's going to mean as a church family that we have to encourage each other. We are devoted to God's word because we are devoted to encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching when we will be with him forever. We are devoted to each other's spiritual well-being. Now there's lots of implications out of this but let me pick just one. I think in a church this size if we're really going to let the word of God dwell in us richly if we're really going to let it go to work in each other's lives, then you need to be in a small group. That's baseline devotion to God's word. You need to be in a small group. If you are part of this church family, if you want to grow in your love and understanding of God and his word, if you want to experience relationships that are shaped by that word, relationships of love and accountability, if you want to develop and deepen your prayer life and be enabled by that word, I strongly believe you need to be in a small group, a group of half a dozen, a dozen Christians that meet regularly, that open the Bible together, that explore it, that see the implications for their lives, that encourage each other, push each other on. We need that if we're going to make real this devotion to God's word. In a church of this side, such groups is where we really get to the nitty gritty of the Bible's implications for our lives. We allow that word spoken to us and spoken by those around us in the group to encourage us, correct us, forgive us, rejoice with us, weep with us. That's baseline devotion to God's word. And so if you're not in a group, let me encourage you to make this year the year you join one. And if you can't see how that could possibly work for you, well then come and talk to me. I'd love to find a way to make it work. I'd love to invent a group that will work for your situation We need more people in groups like this if we are going to make good on encouraging each other authentically. And so to that end, let me me, uh, encourage you to have a look at this flyer that was in the notice sheet after the service. It's a flyer about small groups. Most of them are kicking off in a few weeks' time. It'll tell you a bit more about what small groups are if you're thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. That's the thing to have a look at. There's sign-up sheets at the back of church and over in the church centre. Have a think about it. And even if, as, you, as, as I said, you're not sure how it'll work, put that on the form say, I don't have a clue how I have time for this, but I'm open to thinking about it. Well, let's conclude. In the coming weeks, as I said before, both morning and night, we'll be exploring why it is as a church that we are lovers of God's word. And we'll see together the huge difference that word can make to our own lives, to the lives of us as a community and to any situation we find ourselves in. Let me finish by leaving you with this story. You'll see, uh, hopefully you saw on inside the service sheets an outline on a blue piece of paper which has a picture on the top of it. The picture is titled, uh, the painting is titled The Preacher 
at the Cabello Massacre in Rwanda. It's painted by an Australian called George Giddos. Here's an article about uh, that painting. George Giddos describes the events behind his painting which won the 1995 Blake Prize for Religious Art. Under the auspices of the United Nations, Giddos and a medical team were visiting the village of Cabello when suddenly they found themselves in the midst of a massacre. It was horrific, Giddos says. We saw children killed before our eyes. We were going in and getting the wounded out as people were macheting and shooting and killing. Suddenly there was this guy in the middle of all the people. He just began to give this sermon in one of those beautiful melodious African voices mingling English and French and Rwandan and quoting those sections of the New Testament to them, those bits which give hope and tell us of the afterlife. I thought it took tremendous courage because he exposed himself and yet he had the presence of mind to know that this is what the people needed to hear. Guido said he began to sketch him very quickly and then he photographed the preacher standing in among the people. And he says the killing closed in. I don't know if he survived or whether the people around him survived. As we began pulling the bodies out, I looked for him. I looked for the distinctive yellow coat he was wearing, but I couldn't see it. As a church family, as as we go forward in the coming year and the years beyond, there are so many things that seem so much more powerful and effective than this word, the Bible. So many things that we could do that we, we, we might think would have a bigger impact, that would have more to say to our community. But take a lesson from the preacher at Cabello. These are the words of eternal life. These are words worth hearing, words we must hear, words that speak when all other human words have run out of things to say. So let us be lovers of God's word. Let's pray.